Daniel 9 is one of the most important chapters in the Bible, and it reminds me of a sandwich. It starts with a powerful prayer and ends with a comprehensive prophecy that spans from the time of Daniel to the end of the age. The prayer covers 19 verses, while it only takes four verses to reveal the prophecy. That tells us something about the priority of prayer. It also suggests that people of prayer, like Daniel, always get the most out of Bible prophecy. Prayer is the place to start before any study of Holy Scripture, especially those parts of the Bible where the one true God and revealer of mysteries gives us a glimpse into the future. The fact is, prayer and prophecy go together like peanut butter and jelly. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. What does it take to have a strong prayer life? Find out next on today's edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. Hi, my name is Brian Davis. Thanks for stopping by. Well, prayer is perhaps our most powerful spiritual weapon, one that many believers in Christ don't use often enough. Today, Ron gives us three keys to having a successful prayer life. As he continues his teaching series, Mysteries of Babylon, How the Prophecies of Daniel Prepare Us for the Return of Jesus Christ. Online, you'll find us at somethinggoodradio.org where you can listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. From Daniel chapter 9, here's Ron with part 2 of his Something Good Radio message, The Power of Prayer and Prophecy. I remember when our kids were in high school and they were athletes, my daughter played softball. And uh, we as the parents, when we would attend the softball games, we we were fervent fans. And um, one of my daughter's teammates, uh, her her mother, was uh, the most fervent of the fans. She brought cowbells to the games, all right? You ever been at a sporting event with somebody who has cowbells? She didn't just have one cowbell. She had multiple cowbells, different sizes, different sounds, and she would hand them out and you know, this, this was great for, for our side, right, for our team, because when our team did something great, the cowbells started, right? I mean, there was fervency. There was enthusiasm of spirit in the crowd. The other team hated it, I'm just telling you. They hated the cowbells. But that, that's, what, that's what fervency looks like, enthusiasm of spirit, hot, glowing. And then we come to church, and I wonder where the cowbells are, Right? I'm not saying, don't bring cowbells to church next week, please, all right? (laughs) You might meet one of our ushers personally (laughs) if you bring a cowbell to church. And I understand fervency looks different through different personalities, right? Okay, you can can be the kind of person who you're saying, on the inside, I'm about to, I am so enthusiastic, I am so in the spirit, I am so fervent. But on the outside, you look like you sucked on a lemon. Okay, I get that. I get that. You know, that, that's some personalities. Other personalities, you're all cowbell, you know? You're all cowbell. Churches are this way, too. You ever notice different denominations? 
You know, I, I, I love the diversity in the body of Christ. But my Presbyterian friends, all right, let's just be honest, sometimes I wonder if they hand you uh, a worship guide at the door and a lemon, all right? Well, those are just the Presbyterians. You know, they earn their, their reputation of the frozen chosen. And then you have the Pentecostals. You have the Pentecostals on the other side. They're all cowbell, right? And then we Baptists in between. We don't know what to do. We don't know whether we're lemons or cowbells, all right? We're, we're, we're somewhere in between, all right? I understand the personality thing, all right? I'm just saying, and I believe the Scripture is teaching us this morning, prayer must be fervent. There's got to be enthusiasm of spirit. There's got to be passion. There needs to be zealousness. Try that word. Have you heard that one lately? R.C.'s, or rather, J.C. Ryle was a pastor and a spiritual leader from a previous generation, and he talked about zeal in your relationship with God. He says, a zealous man in religion is preeminently a man of one thing. It is not enough to say that he is earnest, hearty, uncompromising, thoroughgoing, wholehearted, fervent in spirit. He sees one thing. He cares for one thing. He lives for one thing. He is swallowed up in one thing, and that one thing is to please God. Whether he lives or whether he dies, whether he has health or whether he has sickness, whether he is rich or whether he is poor, whether he pleases man or whether he gives offense, whether he is thought wise or whether he is thought foolish, whether he gets blame or whether he gets praise, whether he gets honor or whether he gets shame, for all this, the zealous man cares nothing at all. He burns for one thing, and that one thing is to please God and to advance his glory. Where's the zealousness? Where's the fervency in our prayer life? We celebrated the National Day of Prayer this past Thursday, and as is our tradition here, we had a gathering on Thursday morning, that first Thursday of the month in May. And uh, we gathered at 7.30. I, I, I get that, you know, that time is not good for everybody's schedule, but we had a good crowd there, and uh, we, we, we prayed. We, we probably spent 10 minutes talking and the rest of the, the hour praying, and it was a sweet hour of prayer. And as we were praying, uh, a gentleman sitting next to me leans over and he says, he says, isn't the sound of the people of God praying a wonderful sound? And it is. It is. And when it's full of fervency and passion and zealousness, when you're praying as though if God doesn't show up, and when that prayer aligns with the will of God and the Word of God, listen, friends, that's the kind of prayer meeting I want to be a part of. Now, what does fervency in prayer look like? Let's go back to our friend Daniel and see if we can answer that question. As I read through his prayer, I highlighted four things that um, define his fervency. The first is honest confession. Did you hear that in his prayer? Verse 5, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled. Verse 6, we have not listened. Verse 8, to us, O Lord, belongs open shame because we have sinned. Verse 9, we have rebelled. Over and over again, uh, Daniel is, is as a leader, uh, taking responsibility and, and incorporating into his prayer the plural pronoun we and praying 
corporately and confessing corporately that God, we are in the mess that we're in right now because we have done wickedly. We have done wrong. Daniel was one of the most godly men you can ever find in the Old Testament. But as a leader, he took corporate responsibility and prayed in this way. His corporate confession kind of reminds me of a prayer that took place in the Kansas State Legislature not too long ago. A guy named uh, uh, Joe Wright was asked to open up the legislative session in prayer. He said, Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask your forgiveness and seek your direction and guidance. We know your word says, woe to those who call evil good, but that's exactly what we have done. We have lost our equilibrium spiritually and inverted our values. We confess that we have ridiculed the absolute truth of your word and called it moral pluralism. We have worshiped other gods and called it multiculturalism. We have endorsed perversions and called it alternative lifestyle. We have exploited the poor and called it a lottery. We have neglected the needy and called it self-preservation. We have rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We have killed our unborn and called it a choice. We have neglected to discipline our children and called it building esteem. We have abused power and called it political savvy. We have coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. We have polluted the air with profanity and pornography and called it freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. He says, search us, O God, and know our hearts today. Try us and see if there be some wicked way in us. Guide and bless these men and women who have been sent here by the people and who have been ordained by you to govern. Grant them your wisdom to rule and may their decision direct us to the center of your will. You can imagine how Joe Wright's prayer was received. But that is a passionate, fervent prayer of honest confession. I look at Daniel's prayer, I also find contrite mourning. You go back to those verses and he says, I sought the Lord by prayer, verse 3, prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth and ashes, he says. Now, this was a common posture for an Old Testament saint and a prophet to be in. They would sit in sackcloth and ashes. Read the book of Job. Job, when all the calamity took place in his life, he, he sat in sackcloth and ashes in an attitude of, of brokenness and mourning and contrition and tears. Where are the tears in the body of Christ today? The brokenness over our sin. We have sinned against God, and these are the re this is the reason we're in the calamity that we are, we are in. Uh, where is the brokenness as a nation this way? Uh, there's always contrite mourning in fervent prayer. We'll be right back with more of today's Something Good message from Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Well, we're living in a very unique time in world history, and we're grateful to see God using Something Good Radio like never before. 
As you're able to support the ministry this month, we want to say thank you with a special gift of our own. The complete audio download to the series you're hearing now, Mysteries of Babylon, how the prophecies of Daniel prepare us for the return of Jesus Christ. That's Mysteries of Babylon, a seven-message series from Dr. Ron Jones, and for a limited time, our gift to you for your gift to Something Good Radio. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. Now let's join Ron for the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, The Power of Prayer and Prophecy. There's also self-denial. Daniel says, I was fasting. <laughs> I mean, fasting. Fasting is one of the craziest spiritual disciplines to think about in the 21st century. Our self-indulgent culture. Who, who would ever think about denying yourself what your belly is screaming for in order to pursue God? But that's what fasting is. You read the Bible. Almost everybody you can name in the Bible, you know, a significant person that was used for God, practice the discipline of fasting, going without food for a period of time for a spiritual purpose. That's fasting. And, and it's, I would say, the most misunderstood and underutilized spiritual discipline of the 21st century. You read throughout church history, every significant name that is mentioned in church history, they practice the discipline of fasting. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, he mentioned three pillars of Jewish piety, giving, praying, and fasting. He didn't say, if you pray and if you give and if you fast. He says, when you pray, when you give, when you fast. The expectation of every pious Jew was to practice at least these spiritual disciplines and we see Daniel fasting. Go over to chapter 10 and verse 3, verse 2 rather. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. Three weeks he was in prayer and fasting. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all. He didn't even take a bath for the full three weeks. We call this the Daniel fast. Some fasts are three days, some are 40 days. Daniel fasted for 21 days. I can't wait to get to chapter 10 to tell you what happened on the 21st and 22nd day, the answer that came. But fervent prayer, there is a fervency when, when you are willing to say no to the flesh. Jesus said, if you want to be one of my disciples, Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Fasting is that spiritual discipline that denies the flesh what the flesh wants for the purpose of pursuing God. Fasting is not a diet. You might lose weight, but that's not the purpose. You're fasting for a spiritual purpose. And fervent prayer is about self-denial. And then finally, it's God-centered this prayer is God-centered. Verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, 
O Lord, the great and awesome God. And throughout this prayer, Daniel continually, you know, speaks of the great and awesome God and the character of God. Uh, it is all about the, the preservation of his name and his reputation. This is no now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayer, and it's no give me this, give me this, give me this, give me this kind of prayer either. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You get aligned to the will of God first, and then you pray, give me this day my daily bread. Okay? It's a God-centered prayer. So much of our praying today, I even confess my own, is very me-centered, very me-centered in the me-centered culture of ours. So Daniel teaches us that prayer must be focused on the will of God, that it must be fervent, and then finally, frequent, okay? Real easy sermon to remember this morning. It's frequent. We go back to Daniel chapter 6, and Daniel says, when I knew that the document had been signed, I went to my house where it says he had open uh, windows in his op upper chamber open toward Jerusalem, and Daniel got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel didn't just pray when the crisis came. It, it wasn't a last resort. It was a first resort in his life. Daniel practiced prayer like a good Jew, three times a day, morning, noon, night. This man was a man of prayer. And, and, and here's what happens when you practice that spiritual discipline of prayer. You, you train the reflux of your spirit and your soul in a Godward direction so that when the crisis does come, you know exactly where to go. Some, some of us haven't done that. And we're running over here to get answers from here and running over here to get answers from here, from uh, friends that may or may not know the Lord, uh, uh, from unwise counsel, from the horoscope, from this or that. Oh, yeah, I guess since, since everything else didn't work, now I'll pray. Ah, that's not what Daniel does. Da Daniel, Daniel practiced frequent prayer three times a day. This is what the guy did. Every morning, noon, and night, you're going to find Daniel in prayer. Whether there's a crisis or not, he is aligning himself to the Word of God and praying according to the will of God. We actually find at least three spiritual disciplines that Daniel practiced. Obviously, prayer, the reading of God's Word. He had you know, Jeremiah's scroll and perhaps others as well. Fasting. Those are three good ones to start with, right? There are a lot of spiritual disciplines to practice, but these... Uh, were used in a way to align Daniel's heart and his steps according to the will of God. He prayed three times a day. In the New Testament, we're told to pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Pray without ceasing. So the sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne, here's where I changed the hymn writer, make all his wants and wishes known. 
In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief and oft escaped the tempter's snare by thy return. Sweet hour of prayer. And next week, we're going to see the power of prayer and prophecy because this prayer precedes, strap on your seatbelts, the most amazing prophecy that God gives from the time of Daniel all the way to the end of the age. You want to understand Bible prophecy, here's the key that unlocks it. Be here next week to learn about it. But be in prayer between now and then. And make sure that every time you have any interest in Bible prophecy or read about God's prediction, it drives you to your knees and leads you to repentance and confession. Prayer, fasting, the reading of God's holy word, three of the greatest spiritual disciplines we have available to us, and perhaps the three we use the least. Ron, I know we have some real prayer warriors out there, along with many who are committed to consistent time alone in God's word. I even know some who make it a habit to fast at least one day a month. But so many believers today are neglecting these three disciplines. Why do you think that is? And what would you say to maybe help reverse this trend? Well, Brian, being a disciplined person is not easy. Uh, neither is reversing trends. But I can address the importance of uh, practicing spiritual disciplines, disciplines like giving, praying, and fasting. And I can also address the difficulty some people have with being a disciplined person. Let's start with some words the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, his young protege in the ministry. Paul said to Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Now, the word translated discipline is the Greek word gymnazo, where we get our word gymnasium. Uh, Paul is, in all reality, saying to Timothy, get into the spiritual gym and start working out your salvation. Now, I know the word discipline is not friendly to a lot of people, but the Christian life, if you want to live it well, requires spiritual discipline. In fact, I think it is fair and right to say that disciples of Jesus are disciplined people. In English, the words sound very similar, don't they? Elsewhere, Paul says to the Philippians, work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He didn't say work for your salvation. He said work it out. It's the difference between justification and sanctification. As believers in Jesus Christ who already possess salvation, we have a responsibility to get into the spiritual gym, as it were, and work it out, work out our salvation. In other words, we have a part to play in our sanctification by practicing spiritual disciplines. But we do this in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, who is our spiritual trainer and coach. Remember, it is God who is at work in us, in the person of his Holy Spirit. He is urging us to do what pleases him. Now, self-control or discipline is one of the aims the Holy Spirit wants to work in us. It is uh, listed among the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. The Holy Spirit wants us to become disciplined in prayer, in giving, in fasting, and a whole lot more. So, Brian, to the person who says, well, I'm just not a very disciplined person, I understand that. But I can't take the word discipline out of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Sometimes it's three steps forward and two steps back. I get that too. 
but stay at it. First, you gotta show up at the gym if the workout is gonna work, right? It'll take some time and effort on your part and mine, but it's important to develop the habits that lead to holiness and do so in full dependence and in full cooperation with the Holy Spirit, who is our coach. That's Dr. Ron Jones with some great final thoughts from today's message, The Power of Prayer and Prophecy. Well, coming your way tomorrow, the next message in Dr. Ron Jones' teaching series, Mysteries of Babylon. Ron, tell us what you have planned for the next two days here on Something Good Radio. Well, Brian, my next message will take us away from the general prophecies involving the end times, and we move uh, to the specific prophecies concerning the nation of Israel. What is God's plan for His chosen people? What will things look like in Israel as we approach the second coming of Christ? I dive into that subject next time in my message, The Future of the Nation of Israel. That's tomorrow when Dr. Ron Jones shares his message, The Man Who Could Not Be Bought. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.